His kingdom has been won for him by his death and resurrection. He comes back to claim his kingdom. And we who are his children, help us be prepared for his coming. As we study the Bible together, may our hearts burn within us. And may we continually sing, Come again, Lord Jesus. Pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I am sharing uh, three sessions from the Epistle of James. Back a few weeks ago, I shared the first portion. And then uh, this today, and God willing, next Sunday, I will be uh, sharing from the whole uh, book of James. Uh, this all has to do with kingdom righteousness. Jesus is coming for a righteous kingdom. And therefore we are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The, and so James, who is the Lord's brother, was a righteous man himself. He's, he was called in the church, James the Righteous. He knew the way of righteousness. And he talks to his dear Christian brothers. You see this phrase repeated many times, my dear brothers. Now he's exhorting them to be righteous. This is pleasing to the righteous king. James is in a section in the Bible of four books that talk about kingdom, righteousness, and holiness. Do you know what those four books are? Hebrews, James, First Peter, Look at those four books you see mentioned always. Holiness. Going on to perfection. You find the word perfect in each of these books. Means we're to be prepared and mature, perfect as the men on this earth. So James speaks about this matter. If you look at James in chapter 1, verse 4, But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Look in James chapter 3, verse 2. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Now the Lord is doing a sanctifying work in all of us. As it says in First Thessalonians chapter 5, He wants to sanctify a spirit, soul, body. 
until we're presented before him a perfect man. Now this desire to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. We see in these uh, in the Bible can only be understood if you understand this. Why do we pursue holy? Hebrews, James, and First and Second Peter all tell us what. You know why? Because the Lord is coming. If you look in chapter five of James, you see in verse seven, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Or look at verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And then look in verse 11. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. It says that our lives need to become righteous because the Lord is very near. He's getting ready to receive his righteous kingdom. Notice verse 16 of chapter 5. Comfort, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So already we see two characteristics of a righteous man. He knows the kingdom is coming soon. He's a man of prayer. This is what James is speaking to us. He wants us to learn this matter of kingdom righteousness. Now when we talk about righteousness, righteousness begins with God. God is righteous. We have mentioned in the past. This means four things. God is all right. God is always right. God does things right. And God makes things right. Now because men have sinned, there is no man righteous. It says in the Bible, there is no man righteous. No, not one. And so God sent His Son. His Son came to earth. He was righteous. Why? He was all right. He was always right. He did things right. And He made things right. What's the most important thing He made right? You, we were upside down. My mother used to make the best upside down pineapple cake. 
You cook it and the pineapples on the bottom, but then you turn it over and the pineapples on the bottom. That's like your life and mine. All of us are pineapples on the bottom. Only God can make us right. Jesus died on the cross to make us right. Made righteous by Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin so we could become righteous. This is the gospel we preach. You can be made right by faith in Jesus Christ. He has become our righteousness. Are you righteous? Well, you always say Jesus is righteous. Ah, you got it. And we have been given a robe of righteousness. You like my robe? Where's your robe? Robe of righteousness. We have a breastplate of righteousness. We wear the full armor of God. But not only the breastplate of righteousness, Jesus has been made our righteousness inside. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, it says, By God's doing, Christ has been made to us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Now, are you righteous? Now, you better say Amen. Amen. Because Jesus lives within you. Because Jesus gave you a clothes a clothe of righteousness. By the grace of God, you are righteous. Now, talking about kingdom righteousness, he's talking about now how we live a righteous life. When we read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about the kind of righteous life we should live in the kingdom. You are the light of the world. Let men see your good works and glorify God. You are the salt of the earth. You are the one who is hungry and thirsty for righteousness. You are the one you know how to pray. You know how to give. You know how to fast. You have a righteousness in your heart. The Jews say they don't commit adultery because they don't commit outward adultery. But Jesus says our righteousness goes deeper. We don't commit adultery in our hearts because our heart is made righteous. And so in this world, there are men and women who are saved by Jesus Christ who are doing works of righteousness 
所以今天在这个世界里，许多被主拯救的，他们在行出义、公义的工作。They have a pure heart，他们有一个清白的心，and in every way they are a manifestation of the righteousness of God。然后他们能够在表现出呃神的公义。Now you remember Ananias？你记得亚拿尼亚？He was the man who prayed for Saul when he was a righteous man. Christians need to live a righteous life. Christians for us to walk in. Isn't that wonderful? He not only saved you, he has some important works for you to do for him. Now all of us need to begin to walk in this righteous way. Now how do we live righteously? Ah, now you know there's a secret. There's a mystery of godliness. Now many Christians say, okay, now I'm saved, now I'm going to live righteous. But what do we find? Now we want to live righteous. But we don't seem to be able to. Something's wrong. Have you learned a secret? Did you discover? You are a Christian, but you can't live Christian life. What? It's the secret. Christ in you. He lives the Christian life. And the secret is, we find in that wonderful verse, Galatians 2.20. We discover we have been crucified with Christ. That I, I want to, I will, I can. That's been crucified. Nevertheless, now we live. But not I. Christ lives in me. Now that's our new identity. So who are you? Do you know who you are? You say, you say who, who are you? If he says Daniel, Daniel, he has to be Daniel with Christ in him. And if he lives by this life of Christ, he is a, a, an expression of Christ. And Christ lives in him. Now he can begin to live righteous. Now let me ask you a question. If somebody slaps you on the cheek, can you turn the other cheek? I turn the other cheek to get ready my punch. <laughs> Only Christ can turn the other cheek. And he lives in you. Now we begin to discover the secret of the righteous. Now James knows this secret too. And he wants us to walk in the righteousness of Christ. It's very practical. And as a matter of fact, James has a picture in his mind that comes from the Old Testament. 
The Old Testament talks about a righteous man. But there's a phrase that it uses even more than a righteous man. You know what it is? They dare not say, I'm a righteous man. But what do they say? Upright man. Now James wants us to be an upright. What does that mean, upright? It means first of all straight. Now somebody in the Old Testament who sins is crooked. There are some men who are upright. Some men who are crooked. But an upright man is loved by God. Now let's just look at a few verses from the Old Testament on upright. I just want you to see this. Now, Job. What does the very first verse say about Job? Job 1.1 There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. Ah, Job, upright. He could stand straight. He didn't have to hide. He wasn't ashamed. When he spoke, he spoke the truth. He was an honest man. He was dependable. That's an upright. God loves an upright. But I see you don't believe. So let's look at some scriptures. Uh, Psalm 11. Psalm 11 talks about trouble. Let's look at uh, verse uh, 2. For look, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready the arrow on the string, that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. Now you notice this important phrase, in heart. Now, where does uprightness begin? In heart. Now, where does righteousness begin? In heart. When the Bible talks about the most important piece of your anatomy, spiritually speaking, it talks about the heart. Look at verse 7. The Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. And his countenance beholds the upright. And we look at Psalm 33. Verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is God thinks it's beautiful when an upright man or woman praises Him. Or notice in Psalm 32, verse 11, the last verse. 
Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. 你们一人应当靠耶和华欢喜快乐。你们心里正直的人都欢呼。Just in the Psalms and Proverbs alone, this word "upright man" is used more than fifty times. 所以你看，光在诗篇还有这个呃箴言里面，你会发现这个正直的这个字出现五十多次。So we ask the practical question because James, of course, has Old Testament background, being a Jewish man. So Jacob, he has Jewish background, he is a Gentile. Are we living upright in heart? Are we pleasing to the Lord? Are we pleasing to the Lord? This is the way we need to be. So we should be upright, Gentile. Just look at Psalm 45. Look at Psalm 45. Again, I'm just showing you a few scriptures. I'll show you a few scriptures. You can do your upright homework. Some other time. 其他时间 Now look at the verse six. 第六节 This is talking about the Messiah. 这说到弥赛亚 And his throne. 他的他的宝座 Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and you hate wickedness. 神啊，你的宝座是永永远远的。你的国权是正直的。So, uprightness, God, the scepter of uprightness, the straight scepter, the scepter of Jesus' kingdom. So all of us need to be measured by this standard. So we need to be measured by this standard. And let's look at this upright, righteous man. Now, I want to put James, give you a simple key to understanding the whole book. The book of James has many sayings, many exhortations. But here is a simple. Key to understanding James. If you want to be upright in heart, be single in heart. Not double. James will show that purity in heart is righteous. Double. Some如果有两，double-minded，就是呃，是呃，就是呃呃，你的思想是分分别受，如果是有两个魂的话，是unrighteous，是不不义的。Be single，not double。所以应该是专一的。Now this has nothing to do with marriage。这跟呃婚
But let him ask in faith without doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Now James opens his letter with a very practical problem. In our lives we have many trials. Anybody here have no, no trials in your life? Oh, we all have trials. And you become a Christian, you still have trials. So why does James say, count it all joy when you have these many trials? You see that right there? It says uh, in verse 2 of chapter 1. My brethren, I was talking to Christians. Count it all joy when you have various trials. Why? Now it's not talking about be happy. When you have many trials, you don't go around saying, Ah, oh, I'm so happy. But have joy in your heart. Why have joy? Because you know that this trial is going to perfect you. God's going to do something deeper in you. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. How many of you need more patience? You don't have to pray for it. Trials will give you patience. If you believe God still loves you. If you believe you can ask Him for anything because He has wisdom and He wants to give it to you. In a time of trial, keep your heart pure. I believe God. I believe God's truth. I believe God loves me. You will receive a reward. That's what it says in verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures trials, but when he's been proved, he'll receive the crown of life. But what's our problem? When we go through trials, we can become double minded. Our heart was pure. And then our mind begins to doubt. Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe he's punishing me. Maybe he's forgotten me. I don't know where is God. Such a man is unstable. He goes up and down. I believe. I believe. 
You won't be perfected that way. When you get to go through trials, you say, God loves me. And you go to God and ask for wisdom. And what does it say? God says, of course I'll give you wisdom. He gives to you and he doesn't scold you. When we have trials, where should we run? Away from our trials? Or should we run into God? Where's your rock? You run away to Brazil? Or you run into your rock? Stay there. You will learn wonderful patience. So you see, single, double. Jesus talked about this all the time. Look at me. He says, in the kingdom, you should have a single eye. Unfortunately, I have two. But the idea is in your heart. Single eye. Not double eye. That causes blindness. Single eye. Now in the kingdom, do not try to serve God and mammon. Double double. Double double spells trouble. No, you serve God. And what happens when you serve God? All these other things he takes care of. You serve God and you, you won't be out on the street begging. He takes care of you. Now, where do you spend your energy? Do you spend it on seeking the kingdom? Or do you spend it worrying? Uh, too short, please God, make me bigger. Oh, I'm old, please make me younger. Oh, I'm young, please make me older. Oh, I'm single, please make me married. Oh, I'm married, please make me single. <laughs> All this energy, I'm afraid of this. Will I have enough food? Will I have enough clothes? What did Jesus say? Your father knows about all those little things. Why don't you spend your energy on big things? Seek the kingdom first. And all those little things, this little change. You need a house, here it is. You need a car, there it is. Now don't go down to your local Honda dealer. making a point. Then we looked last time and we saw that also we have to be careful when we are tempted. You have to keep your heart pure. When you're tempted, it tries to make you double. So I'm serving God, but, but the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life starts to pull me away from my love for God. And many times, we have, we have to confess our sins. When we fall to temptation, allow Him to cleanse us. Come back to the pure heart.
Therefore lay aside all filthiness, overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Now before you ever sit, God already had planted a word in your heart. This word can deliver you from your sin. But you have to lay aside and come humbly to him. And then he talks about coming to this perfect law of liberty. Now what's that? Well now let's read. Verse 23. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. 那因为听到而不行到的就像人对着镜子看自己本来的面目 Now I'm sorry I talked about this last time If you didn't hear it maybe you could get the uh, MP3 我上一次讲过了这句话这段话 Nobody gets tapes anymore现在没有录音带了吧 Okay but anyway did you, look, did you look in the mirror at yourself this morning? 你今天早上有没有照镜子? Did you see what you look like? 你有没有看你长什么样子? But that's not what this is talking about. You know what? I looked in the mirror this morning. I know what I look like. Whether my glasses are on or off, I know what I look like. But this is talking about something else. It says, look at your natural face in the mirror. But it actually says in the Greek, the face of your birth. Now, I I always remember my natural face. You see, then he says, uh, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer but a doer. This one is blessed in what he does. That's verse 25. Alright, now let's look at this. What is this law of liberty? It's not talking about the Old Testament. It's talking about a law that sets you free. It's not talking about the Old Covenant. It's talking about a New Covenant. Who are you in the New Covenant? Christ lives in you. Who are you in the New Covenant? He's writing this law in your heart. Who are you in the New Covenant? He says, your sins and transgressions I have completely forgiven. Every time you look at the New Covenant, it sets you free. It's in the Word of God. If you look at it, it sets you free. You look in that mirror, and you see not who you are. You see who you are spiritually. A new man in Christ. A new creation. Have you looked in the mirror to see Christ in you? Do you know Christ lives in you? That's what we forget when we leave the mirror. Why do we get into trouble? 
Because we forget who we are. Who are you? You belong to Christ. You're a new creation. You live in Christ. Christ lives in you. Your life is lived by His life. Now that's who you are. That's the face of your birth, your new birth. But if you go away and forget that, and you act like any other sinner, and then when you make a mistake, you have to come back, humble yourself, come back to the Word of God, see what the truth is, live in the truth, and He forgives you. So we see in James chapter 4, we see this tremendous passage. Verse 7, here is the second important process in our life of righteousness. We need to confess when we sin. We need to come back to purity of heart. Listen to verse 7. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Back to a pure heart. Leave aside the double-minded. You love God with all your heart. Christ lives in you. This is how you live the Christian. Now James gives many practical examples of how we're to live this righteous life. And uh, today we're just going to look at three things he points out in chapters 2 and 3. Now, these are things that happen in the church. When we gather and assemble together. Now, let's uh, look at Psalm 111 and verse 1. Psalm 111 you are upright in heart. You are upright in heart. Gather together to praise the Lord. There's life in such an assembly. There's unity. We're one in the spirit. We're one in the faith. It's wonderful to be together with this uprightness of heart. But things can happen in the church and we lose that oneness. We lose that singleness. What are the three problems that James points out? Let's just read a few verses of chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1. James chapter 2. 
My brethren. So now he's talking to Christians again. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into the assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should come in a poor man with filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes and say to him, Sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, Sit on a stool, or here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, in the upright assembly, there's liberty. And God is among us. But that's when we have purity of heart. But what happens when we have double love? Something goes wrong. God gives us His agape love. And shed abroad in our hearts to our brothers and sisters. We love all of our brothers and sisters with agape love. Now let me ask you some simple questions. Does agape love, love from God, does it prefer one person over another? Does agape love say, I like men, I don't like women. I like rich, I don't like poor. That doesn't come from God. What is that? Something from our soul, soul love. Now we prefer certain people. I'm American. I like big people. I like guys like him. Giants. I get along with giants. Lucio the giant. Other big guys. Little guys, I can't see. I have to look past But am I supposed to love based on what I like? This agape love is not supposed to have a natural love. Now it's okay that I, I like my wife. But it's, it, it means that we're not supposed to show favoritism. This becomes very important. You remember in the early church, the Hebrew-speaking widows were not being treated right. And the Holy Spirit said, this isn't right, this isn't right. You treat all the widows the same. Now look at this assembly right here. Ah, we thank God for Brazilians. And we love America. And we have a few Chinese. <laughs> now, are we supposed to show preference? Dude, maybe some of you, I, I, I'm sure you have good reason. You don't like me. 
你有没有吃过一个美国巴西中国人的中晚餐吗？这是不可能的。but God says yes, it's possible. So we're eating right now today. That's a Brazilian kind. Good American turkey. And many Chinese dumplings. This is what God has decided. We shouldn't have this separation. Because a separation means something is double. Look what he says. Verse 8. Remember who you are. If you really fulfill the royal law, which is you shall love your neighbor as yourself, now you're doing right. In fact, in verse 12 it says, So speak and so do as those will be judged by the law of liberty. So chapter two, This law of liberty says we're all one in Christ. There's not Gentile or Jew or slave or free. We're all one in Christ. Now we need to live that way. That's the righteous. So if you were, sometimes we don't realize that we show favorite. I don't know why parents are crazy today. When did parents go crazy? 1980? When I was growing up. Now I knew I was the best of the three children. But my mother or father would never say, I like you more than you. Now what's gone crazy with parents today? They say, I like you and I don't like you. To your own kids, you say that? This hurts people. You should never do that. Shame on you if you say stuff. We love all of our children. No matter whether they're rich or poor. Or skinny or fat. Or smart or dumb. Or obedient or rebellious. Because we know the one who received us by mercy. We treat everybody with mercy. Especially those who need it the most. So that's number one. So you have to study it to see the details. Now when he comes to verse 14, now he talks about another double problem. Now what does a prophet of a man if someone says he has faith but he doesn't have works? Can faith save him? 
If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which they need for the body, what does it profit? So now what do we learn from James? In the, in the life of Christ, you cannot separate faith and works. If you believe, you do. Believing is doing. You can't separate faith and works. Now you're doubling things. Faith and works belongs together. But here's a guy right here, Calvin. He's very poor. This guy. Now I exercise my faith. I prophesy a blessing. Oh, my son, be blessed. Be warm. Be filled. I just exercise faith. So I have faith. Meanwhile, God is saying, in my pocket, God says, here, give him something. But I don't want to give him anything. See, that's double. If you love your brother, you, you help your brother. What is this? This is a faith without works. All be blessed. Here he is eating is you know one of those ramens or something terrible. And you're about to go down to the East buffet. You say, "Oh, be filled, my brother." Oh yeah, you have great faith. That's fake faith. Because real faith has works. So he says in this section, take Abraham. Abraham said, "Oh God, I love you." And God said, Offer your son. Abraham didn't say, Oh God, I love you. He offered his son. Then God said, Thank you. Your works proved your faith. What does it say in James? From that time on, Abraham was God's friend. You believe in me. You obey me. Faith and works go together. When you separate them, both become dead. You know what? When you separate faith and works, what happens? Now you have religion. Religion has a lot of doctrines. I believe this, I believe that. But no living faith. Other religions, they say, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this. But they don't have faith. It's dead. Dead works. Dead doctrine. That's religion. Living faith believes and does. And so that's the way we are supposed to be. He says, faith and works is as inseparable as body and spirit. 
How many of you are here today just in body, but your spirit isn't here? Well, if your spirit isn't here, we better take you out on a stretcher. Your body and spirit are together. Faith and works are together. Oh, now we come to chapter 3. What do we have in chapter 3? A whole chapter spent on one double. What's a double? Double tongue. You know how the serpent has a double tongue? James says in the church, when somebody has a double tongue, it causes great trouble. He says the tongue is only epic. But it controls the whole body. It can set on fire the church. Somebody has a double tongue. What does that mean? Look at verses 9 and 10. With this tongue we bless our God the Father, and with this tongue we curse men. Have you ever heard of such a thing? The same tongue blesses God, curses men. You've forgotten who you are. Because it says you curse a man in whose image we are made. He, a man is made in the image of God. How can you bless God and curse man? How can, a, how can one source of water have fresh water and salt water? How can a fig tree grow olives? He said, This should not be. What's the matter? Why is the double tongue in the church? He especially says, teachers, you will be judged. Because people listen to your tongue. And when you're double tongued, it causes division in the church. Many church leaders have divided the church by their double tongue. You, you read this warning in chapter 3. The whole chapter is a warning about our tongue. He says the perfect man is the man who can control that tongue. So everybody, don't be a teacher. Now all of you almost are qualified to be teachers. You know why? Because you're smart. You pick up things quick. Hopefully you understand what I'm saying this morning. You're ready to teach. James says, whoa, 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 whoa. First, God needs to touch your tongue with his coals. Make your mouth holy. You don't say things to destroy. You remember when Paul was talking in 2 Corinthians. He was talking about false apostles. And Paul says, I do have authority. 
But I only have authority to build up, not destroy. Some people who build up and destroy. But that should not be. Why is it we have double tongue? Now he gets to it at the end of the chapter. Our tongues reflect our source of wisdom. There's two sources of wisdom. A wisdom from the earth and a wisdom from above. Depending on what you're taking in, if wisdom from the world, then your tongue is worldly and destructive. If wisdom from above, you are a peacemaker. Let's look at these verses. Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness and of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy, self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing will be there. When there's confusion and envy and striving in the church, our minds are thinking from the wisdom of this world. How can I get ahead? How can I do what I want to do? These things cause evil. The beautiful church of the upright of heart becomes divided by leaders who some are thinking worldly. But the wisdom that's from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And then listen to verse 18. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's why Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount says, Blessed are the peacemakers. They are the sons of God. The wisdom in the church needs to be the wisdom from above. Humble, sincere, peaceable, righteous, all of these things. 
When we have such peace and such wisdom from above, we have the assembly of the upright. But if we have a double source of wisdom, we have trouble. Now the peaceful ones have limited their intake from the world. Now I'm not saying you have to turn off your TV. Not read the newspaper. But I'm saying that if all of our input comes from the world, this is very difficult for young people. They listen to the world all the time. And then Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and whole lot of worldly opinions. I don't like that. I don't like that. Whole lot of bad rap. Now your head just can't help but get filled by by earthly demonic stuff. So in your family with your children you have peace and harmony and then suddenly this stuff comes in and next thing you know there's division in the family. Now, if you have learned from James, you will say as the father of your house, Aha! there's some wisdom from beneath. This must be cut out. Oh, listen, how wonderful it is to dwell together in the assembly of the upright. But in order to do this, watch out for double love. Watch out for separating faith and works. Watch out for the double tongue. May the Lord cleanse us. May we come humbly to Him. He has grace for the humble. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Don't be double-minded. James is showing us over and over again that the reason you are robbed of your faith and have doubt it's because your mind has gotten ahead of your heart. Your heart needs to be in love with Jesus. Give your heart totally to Him. And then He will help us in our mind and our emotions and our will. To line up with the will of God. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and this blessed life of liberty will be ours. Well, now I, I, I hope you understood this. I know I sort of ran all over. But James is looking for upright men. Men who are doing the good works, God has called them to do. Now, you can help me if for next Sunday you will read chapter 4 and 5. And see if you can find the double. Where James said, Don't be double. Be single. 
So when you see your wife doing something wrong, then you double. I can just see me saying this. That may not work. You understand? God wants us to be single. Single eye. Not double. May the Lord help us. Let's just have a few prayers.